Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Chip Clark. There's Charles W. Wayne Action Bryant. And there's Jerry the Weather Roland. And put the three of us together, you've got yourself the weather team of stuff you should know. That's right. This is a kind of a fun one that uh, Dave Roos helped us out with. Yeah, he did commissioned. A, did a great job. Weather people. That's right. Um, weathercasters, broadcast meteorologists. Mm-hmm. We're talking about not just meteorologists in general. That's a. This is a very specific subset of meteorologists. They're meteorologists who are on TV presenting the weather. TV weather people. Yeah, this is Ken Cook. Oh, I forgot about Ken Cook. Oh, my gosh. Dude, he's still around. Really? Yeah, and and that's kind of the fun thing that you will see uh, partially in this episode. And if you just are from a city that has local news, which is to say everywhere. Right. If you you get a gig like this and you want to and you don't do anything wrong. Sure. Like the idea from the weather, from from the TV station is that they will have you for 30 years if you will stay on because that's what they're after. They're after a someone that the local audience bonds with, they trust, they know and love. Um, you, you just These jobs don't go away unless you're just not any good at it for some reason. But if, if you lock in, like if you're like a Dallas Reigns or a Ken Cook and you lock into your job as the local weather personality, you're set for life as long as you don't screw it up. Yeah, which interestingly, like a little corollary to that, Chuck, is that 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 low turnover makes the jobs really competitive. Oh, sure. I read that TV weather people are not friends with the other channels weather people. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's super competitive from what I heard, which is it's strange like a, because when you think of the TV weather person, they're like the friendliest, nicest person in the whole the whole group. Yeah, it's like the gang fight in uh, Anchorman in the alley. Yeah, and as we'll see, Anchorman, as hilarious as it was, was also incredibly accurate in sure, a lot of ways. Like, yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about weathercasters, broadcast meteorologists, TV weather personalities. I'm going to give those examples every time. <laughs> no. Uh, and there's a really long-standing joke um, that says, what other profession could you be wrong half of the time and still get paid a million dollars? Yeah, been around a very, very long time. And it kind of underscores just how people typically think of the weather person. They remember when the weather person gets it wrong a lot of times. But weather people are, 
Do you remember we talked about <laughs> how in, how incredibly stressful a court stenographer's job must be? Mm-hmm. I think the weather person on TV might have a job that's equally stressful to that. You think? Let's talk about the components of the weather person's job, Chuck. I think it looks like a good gig. And in fact, uh, I wanted for a very brief time, and I've mentioned this before, aspired, not aspired, that that's overshooting it, thought b- briefly in college about trying to be a weather person. I uh, don't. Because I was into meteorology. Uh, as I mentioned before, I used to watch the Weather Channel with my best friend Rad in high school. Yeah. Uh, while we hung out. And uh, I took a weather and climate course in college. And that further reinforced that I was like, this is really cool. And I was a pre-journalism major. I was in, I wanted to be, a, I thought I wanted to be like a, a broadcast news kind of reporter type. Right. Uh, but I thought no one, and this was, you know, eight, 19 year old Chuck. I was like, nobody's trying to be a weather person these days because it's so uncool. Like that would probably be a pretty easy gig to get. Yeah, not true. Like little did I know. Dude, and there's so much work to it, too. So, um, first of all, not everyone's a meteorologist, and this is a big bone of contention among the meteorologists who do present on TV. Yeah, most of them are now, but not all of them. Yes, but from what I saw by most, that means slightly over 50%. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's not like the vast majority from what I've seen. I guess I'm thinking ma- most major cities, but yeah, you're right, I guess. Sure. Sheboygan doesn't have a meteorologist. I think if you are an actual meteorologist on TV, you command more money and probably a little more respect. Who knows? Of course. But while you're while you're working, so say you you are a meteorologist. Okay. So you have to have an understanding of how the weather works. Mm-hmm. You have to understand how you can communicate that understanding to the public in an understandable way. So understanding all around. Mm-hmm. You have to have a it's a, a good personality. Like you can't be like me, some some oh, dark schmo, you know. <laughs> you have to be nice. People people want to like you, and you so you got to be likable in return. You also have to have like a lot of um, poise because you're up there on live TV. Don't forget, mm-hmm. all of this is live. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I didn't know about weather people, they don't have a script. And if you ever watch a weather person deliver their spiel in a couple minutes, uh-huh. uh, most of the time. They do not mess up. They don't have to correct themselves. They don't like, um, like accidentally say um, half of a word. Rain they're, instead they're of like, snow. They're like the opposite of us, uh-huh. right? Yeah. They do not <laughs> screw up. And sometimes they do, of course, but most of the YouTube time they that don't. Happens. Yeah. Right. So the fact that they're, they know what they're talking about, they're getting it across in a, a logical um, manner that's spread out in like some understandable way that you can follow that makes sense on live TV while manipulating images on a green screen that mm-hmm. they can't see except for monitors on either side, um, while also just being fun and chipper uh, and doing it all within your time limit, that's, I say that that is a high-stress, really admirable job. Okay, here's what I say. Okay. That's your, that's your take. Okay. My take, admirable for sure, high-stress for week one. Uh, okay. And then, I, and then I think you're on cruise control for okay. the next 35 years. Maybe not week one, but I see what you mean. Sure. And I'm not saying, again, not saying that they're not doing a good job or whatever, but I bet you once they have that down, it's it's a pretty great job. Sure. That's not super stressful. All That's right. That's just fine. my guess. Yeah, no, you, you won me over to your side. <laughs> I'm usually, um, my opinion is almost always correct, but in I this know, case, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, let's go back in time, though, to 1870. 
uh, when a very um, sort of monumental thing happened in the United States, uh, weather-wise, it's when the National Weather Service was founded. And they, from the get-go, said, here's our mission. We're going to collect data from all over the country uh, from these weather stations. We're going to send it out on the telegraph. And people can put it in newspapers if they want. Uh, and that's just what happened um, starting in the 1880s with uh, New York World. Uh, they started putting their own local weather forecast on the front page. And then it took another, geez, probably uh, 50 years or so, maybe not quite, before a paper would do the national weather. And that would, of course, be the New York Times um, did a national weather map. Yeah. Um, and so weather's always basically been associated with news, like right from the get-go. And as news has evolved in the way that news is delivered, um, the weather's evolved alongside it. So yeah. when uh, the news made the jump to radio, weather was right there basically from the outset. And there was a guy named Jimmy Fiddler, and he was out of WLBC in Munchie, Indiana. And um, Munchie? Muncie? I think it's Muncie. If it were Italian, it'd be Munchie. Oh, I love Munchie. We should go with Okay. <laughs> it is Muncie. I, I, I know that because it's not that far from Toledo. So thank yeah. you for correcting me. I apologize me. about my asthma throat, too. If people think I'm dying, I'm not. It's just <laughs> um, uh, pollen season. Dude, it is so bad up here. It's crazy. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. Um, 3,000s we're talking about, people. Is it's that what the level is? is high. Yes. Yeah, because usually I don't get it too bad, but I've been wheezy and asthmatic for like six weeks. Plus, there's also the nice little bonus of it being cold, super cold, like February <laughs> cold here right now. And it's not like it was cold on one day. It's set in cold. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and I should also point out that laughing uh, triggers like that asthma, wheeze and cough. Well, I'll try not to be funny. I'm not making any promise. I know. I'm trying to contain my laugh because if not, I'll go. <gasps> <laughs> I would find that satisfying. All right. Try and kill me. Um, okay. So anyway, he was out of WLBC in Muncie, Indiana, and he's known as basically the first weatherman, the guy who created the what we saw as the weatherman and eventually weather person um, all the way back in the 1930s. Yeah. And that's sort of the more um, personality-driven weather reporter. Yeah. Uh, as we'll see, you know, with, well, we can talk about it right now, actually. Um, as we'll see if TV, uh, as TV became a thing, uh, that sort of came and went over the years until it firmly established itself as like whether people should be probably just a, a little more uh, personality plus. Um, but he was also uh, the first human to be on the television reporting the weather. Uh, TV in the late 1930s and early 40s was uh, not a very big deal, only about, and it's hard to find good numbers, but Dave found a stat that said about 6,000 TV sets nationwide man um after the war that became um in like less than a decade close to 10 million tv sets so Isn't that crazy that's when that boom happened um but he uh old jimmy phil uh phil almost said filder fiddler um went on tv in cincinnati uh, either in 1939 or 1940 uh as the first human tv weatherman yes and i'm glad that you um caveated that with what with human because a lot of people are like, oh, no, the first weather person of all time was Wooly Lamb, a cartoon character, a lamb, if you didn't catch that from the name, uh, who was just a total shill for botany wrinkle-proof ties. Botany, I take it, is the same as the Botany 500 company that um, outfitted guys like Rod Serling and all of them in the 50s. Oh, 
nice looking suits. So Wooly had a jingle that um, was that preceded every forecast. And I have not heard this, but I guarantee just from reading it, I can recreate it. You ready? Let's <laughs> hear it. It's hot. It's cold. It's rain. It's fair. It's, oh, wait. I already screwed it up. Hold on. Let me try again. All right. A one and a two. It's hot. It's cold. It's rain. It's fair. It's all mixed up together. But I, as Botany's woolly lamp, predict tomorrow's weather. I think that you nailed it. I That's the only way you could. 10 do out it. of 10. Thank you. Or, or uh, what was uh, Star Search? Four and three quarter stars. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, Wooly Lamb, though, was a full year or more after uh-huh. uh, Fiddler. So I don't see why the, the date is uh, under dispute. So I don't well, get that. It's probably just an internet thing. Yeah, I don't know if Fiddler was considered a big liar or something because um, they, they Dave says that they, they there's no archival footage of it. But if he said that he did it. Well, that's because they didn't record that stuff back then. Right, exactly. Remember in our sitcoms episode, they didn't start recording until the late 40s, early 50s, maybe. Uh, It was just live, not even live to tape, right? Um, But the fact that he's saying he did it, I don't see why they would be like, no, you're lying. It was really woolly lamb. Yeah, it was in his obituary. So I'll, I'll go with that. But there was one other thing that Jimmy Fiddler did that created the persona of the TV weatherman. In addition to that, that whole, you know, that the personality that you were talking about, um, he took weather data from all different sorts of places and put it together and interpreted it in a way that he could then present it to the uh, the, the public, yeah, um, who would then know what the weather was going to be like tomorrow or the day after. That that was Jimmy Fiddler who who created that. That's right, and that that set the standard. It did. And Wooly Lamb kind of set a weird standard, too, in the post-war <laughs> years, right? Uh, I don't know about this. What happened? Oh, well, so Wooly Lamb. So imagine a cartoon lamb as your weather person on your local TV station. Mm, I've got, I'm there. Kind of weird. There was a period um, in the late 40s, early 50s, where um, that would kind of be a fairly normal thing, where in addition to cartoon lambs, there were oh, puppets. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Sure. There were other cartoons. There were, mm-hmm. um, there were uh, all the clowns, all sorts of just weird stuff, rhyming guys. Like, we'll talk about a little bit of that. But um, Wooly Lamb and Jimmy Fiddler really set the stage for whether people would come. And I think, Chuck, I have just set the stage for our first ad break. Well done. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! (laughs) 
Hey friends, as every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once, and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing. Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening. Because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode... Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stop, stop, stop. All right. So I mentioned before uh, TVs booming post-war, uh, close to 10 million TV sets in the end of the 1940s. Uh, by that time, they had about 70 local TV stations, um, which, you know, doesn't sound like a lot compared to today. But um, obviously, you know, your major cities are going to have them. And it took a long time. And we'll, we'll talk about when uh, the FCC broke things up and allowed more than one per city as well mm-hmm. in a little bit. But uh, in the 40s, this is... Where I was talking about sort of personality plus kind of coming and going. There were a couple kinds of weather forecasters on television um, when it first started really rolling out post-war. And that was the really sort of dry kind. Um, some of these people were former, uh, they were veterans from the military who knew about the weather from, you know, doing that in the military. Um, sometimes they were just really stuffy science types. Sometimes they were not science people at all, and they were just stuffy, but they were just kind of boring. Um, but if you, you know, like I said at the beginning, you you could lock into a job even back then, right, and have it through the 1960s and into the 70s, and that happened on, on a, in a few occasions, right? Yeah, there was a guy, the chief meteorologist at WTOP in Washington D.C., Lewis Allen. And uh, he was there for many decades. I'm not sure when he retired, but he was he was around for a very long time. There's people still alive that remember him as their weatherman, right? Yeah. Um, and he was uh, really well known. He was an incredibly um, uh, accomplished meteorologist, but he was also a pretty good little drawer. And so he would draw and like what the next day's weather was going to be like. He called it a woodle, a weather doodle. Mm-hmm. And I've seen from the research, if you have a little thing like that. Or a good sign off or something. Yeah, oh yeah. 
I mean, talk about endearing the public to you. It's that's all it takes. A woodle. Yeah. Go screw yourself, San Diego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Clint Yule uh, was another one. Uh, he became known nationally as Mr. Weather because he became the first um, national deliverer of weather in the late 1940s when he debuted on the Camel News Caravan on NBC. Uh, Camel Cigarettes, of course, sponsored that. And he worked out of Chicago, but kind of invented a, a system that would become uh, the green screen later by um, putting a, a map, a Rand McNally map of the United States under plexiglass and then drawing on it with a, uh, a race marker. And um, he would, you know, draw, you know, like weather fronts and <laughs> rain and dry weather and stuff like that. He would draw words on it. Uh, then it would move to color. He made those color markers. And he was the first sort of national dude uh, to come around. Um, One little tidbit about uh, Clint Ewell, that Rand McNally map, he had to bring it from home. Yeah, it was his. <laughs> it's hilarious. They didn't cover it. Um, I mentioned the two types of weather people. This was sort of into the 1950s. Um, so I guess it was three types. You had your sort of dry types. But in the 50s, they really wanted to spice it up. And that's when you got either your wacky men uh, like you mentioned, the rhyming weatherman that was out of Bill Williams out of Nashville mm -hmm. or people that had puppets. Uh, Willard Scott was a very famous um, weatherman his entire career, but uh, had, had always been pretty wacky and was Bozo the Clown on TV before that and was Ronald McDonald uh, and TV commercials before that. I think the first Ronald McDonald. Yeah. Uh, but you had those wacky types, these weird uh, men trying to inject a little entertainment into the news weather. And then you had what were known then as weather girls, which was, hey, let's get an attractive young woman. Let's put her in a nice, fashionable outfit. Who cares if she knows meteorology? Let's just put her on our TV screen. Yeah, and the first uh, weather girl uh, was Carol Reed at WCBS in New York. And they brought her on to go head-to-head -head with the weatherman Tex Antoine at WNBC. And the reason why was because, it's like you said, the FCC opened up competition in 1952 for TV licenses. So that's where we got more than one local TV station. Yeah. So all of a sudden there was that competition and they figured out, well, people don't really take the weather all that seriously. It's not like crime or something like that. Let's right. use that to kind of gain viewers by just being a little wacky. So Tex Antoine, he had a, a cartoon named Uncle Wethby and he would blame Uncle Wethby, um, the weather bureau, uh, if he got it wrong. It was mm -hmm. Uncle Wethby's fault. And it was kind of like a, a gruff sidekick. And he was extraordinarily popular. Um, so they brought Carol Reed on as an attractive 26-year-old who didn't have any training in meteorology, right? Yeah. But she was very um, likable. She had a good smile. And she had a good sign-off, Chuck. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. You can't, you can't not take this. Have a happy. <laughs> Have a happy. That's very nice. Yeah. So uh, she kicked off the whole weather girls thing. Oh, yeah. Um, there was another one uh, named Ginger Stanley. Um, she would sometimes get in her bathing suit and uh, get in a tank of water on the CBS morning show to deliver the weather. Yeah. Um, another one, and this is hard to believe, um, they had in lingerie in bed yeah. in 1952. I know. Which I imagine the lingerie then was just some. Head to toe. Yeah, head to toe, you know. Uh, gown that just looks sort of silky to the touch would be mm. my guess. Sure. Uh, and then uh, you had the fact that it was a legit entry point, though, if you wanted to do serious news. So 
you would just get in however you could. Like Diane Sawyer uh-huh. was one of these uh, quote unquote weather girls in Louisville. Right. Uh, and they said, take those glasses off, uh, hon. Yeah, you know, men you, seldom make passes at girls who wear yeah, glasses. You look too smart. Um, and Raquel Welch was, uh, in fact, in San Diego, and she was the sun up weather girl. Back to the podcast, Raquel Welch at the time was known as Raquel Tejada. Yeah, which means a uh, lime tree. Oh, does it? Yeah, Raquel Lime Tree. That's awesome. And Ra- Raquel means squeeze. And Welch means grape juice. Wow. <laughs> I'm all, I'm starting to see the pattern now. Uh, I think in 1961 was sort of the apex of the weather girl phenomenon uh, when they had uh, 466 TV stations um, nationwide and about three quarters of them uh, were using weather girls. And uh, that's, you know, generally not the case anymore when you see a woman that is the local meteorologist. And at least in a big city, chances are she has her meteorology degree and and is certified as well. It's definitely not a novelty or like they're using sex appeal to like get people to watch the weather. That's not what they're yeah. ostensibly doing any longer. But what I found interesting was that Carol Reed, who started the Weather Girl um, era, also ended it when she was let go in 1964, I believe. Um, that's considered the end of the Weather Girl era, too. And the reason that the Weather Girl era came to an end is because the pendulum which had started with stuffy academics and then swung to women in lingerie and bed giving the weather. Yeah. was started to swing back the other way where the actual like legitimate meteorologists are like, hey, what we're doing is actually kind of important and it's not as easy as you guys think. So we want a little more respect. And so to help kind of give them respect, the um, American Meteorological Society and the National Weather Association started coming up with certifications and seal of approval, seals of approval um, that like a legit meteorologist on TV who was doing good work could get and basically use as like a a bona fide. Yeah. Like, why did I go to college and study this and work on training my hair part for the past 15 years? Yeah. uh, And put all this money into hairspray if I can't get on TV because there's a lady in our lingerie in bed. You know, I'm in the process of training my hair part. Um, my hairdresser, Michael. Oh, retraining it to something else? moved it over. Yeah, he thought it was over way too close to my ear, so he's moving it a little closer toward the crown of my head. Very interesting. It is interesting, and it's actually kind of a rough transition period because my hair wants to go back down, but I yeah, just got to yeah. go back up this way, and it doesn't what always do do? want to do that. I constantly run my stupid fingers it? through my stupid hair. <laughs> It's awful. And they, um, by doing that, because it's been cold lately, it creates a lot of static. So it just ends up like stuck to my forehead in one uh-huh. large mass. And I end up with a helmet head, ironically oh. looking like a 1970s weather person. <laughs> I, uh, my hair, I've been getting it cut um, on the sides and in the back. Uh-huh. And uh, I just, I've been doing all kinds of crazy hair stuff since the pandemic. But sure. I'm, and what I realize is, I think what I'm subconsciously going for is the haircut I had in high school was when I had like the long all one length bangs skater cut and kind of shaved up on the sides and in the back. I'm getting I there. Can't quite envision that. I'll I'll send you a picture of. But uh, also you with bangs for real. 
Well, not not bangs like comb straight down on my forehead. Oh, so not like Anthony Kiedis's current haircut kind of thing. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm, I'm swooping it up and over like always, but it's uh, just sort of that uh, all one length sort of thing. I'm you, still you, having I'll, trouble. <laughs> I'll see you on tour soon. Okay, good. Then we can talk about each other's hair in the green room. Okay, so let's move on beyond our hair, right? Because we're coming to another pivotal watershed moment in TV weather people history. Yeah, we're coming to the Anchorman years. Uh, yeah. This was, like you said, that movie was true in a lot of ways. And in the 1960s, sort of the late 60s, uh, WABC in New York said, all right, you know, the news had always been sort of a serious affair. Like when you think of national news, you think of like the Walter Cronkites and stuff like that. It was it wasn't like the news as we know it today, even locally. And WABC in New York said, you know what, let's let's transform our newscast and have a little more fun with it. Uh, it was called Happy Talk or Happy News. And we'll have this news team. We'll have two very personable anchors. Like everyone's got to be personality plus now. Right. Everyone's got to kind of joke around as you go to commercial or maybe the weatherman even in, or the sports person interjects um, from, you know, the side when they're talking a news story, obviously not, you know, if it's like a really serious story, they don't uh, come in and joke. But if it's the cat stuck in the tree uh, and the, the little old lady who scaled it to get it down, everybody in the newsroom is now this one big fun group laughing and joking about it. Right. And the, the, the goal is to make the viewer think that they're watching like a group of friends who hang out like off hours and stuff like that, too. Right. Yeah. Like Anchorman. Exactly. Right. Like that was the thing. Like in Anchorman, they actually did that. And they were par I didn't realize it, but they were parody parodying Happy Talk, Happy News. Mm -hmm. And there was a news manager specifically named Al Primo, who was brought into WABC to get ratings up, who was credited with coming up with that format. What a and name. within a decade, every single TV station still today has the Happy Talk format. So the weather person factors into this because, Chuck, they um, had to have their own personality. And they went back to basically Jimmy Fiddler's personality yeah. and adopted that permanently as this happy, peppy, um, science-y type. In fact, a lot of um, uh, weather people, especially like local stations and smaller markets, are called upon to basically explain science stuff sometimes. Like yeah. they're just the, the in-house egghead, basically. Right. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're the only from. person on staff with a science degree, probably. Right. So there was one thing that really kind of also happened from the Happy Talk format, aside from it just existing. Um, Tex Antoine, who I mentioned, he uh, was brought on to WNBC in the 50s and, and gave everybody else a run for their money. He um, got canceled long before anybody ever even thought of the word canceled. But um, he, as part of his Happy Talk spiel, um, he would often like make funny comments on news stories. And right. I think it became so uh, ingrained in his his patter that he didn't always stop and think what he was saying. And this is definitely a, a case of that. Yeah. So he got uh, he got he got fired kind of immediately, I think. Yeah. From what I saw, for sure. And um, there were a lot of people stepped up to try to bring him back or whatever. They were like, nope, that was definitely over the line. All right. Should we take a break? Yes. All right. Let's take a break and we will talk about, uh, well, let's talk more about weather people right after this. 
All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey friends, as every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once, and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing. Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening. Because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode... Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, Chuck. So um, one thing that we've kind of been tracking here is this kind of evolution, this progression of of um, delivering the weather on TV. And one of the big technological advances was the launch of the GOES-1 geostationary satellite over the U.S. back in 1975. Because now we had serious AV um, that the weather people didn't have before. You could string together these pictures taken every half hour mm-hmm. of cloud formations and basically do like a flip book on TV and yeah. show people the clouds moving across the United States. And if you if you watch today that um, the cloud movement that just keeps resetting over and over again, you know, during the um, this like one specific part of the weather cast, yeah, um, that is the exact same thing. It's not, it's probably not coming from Goes One anymore. It might right. be, but it's definitely in that the legacy of the Goes One satellite. 
Oh, yeah. And, and if you're watching the news in the mid-70s and all of a sudden you see a front literally moving for the first time, like, you're pretty knocked out. It was a big deal. Uh, people really loved it. Um, the green screen comes along in the 80s. Uh, that's what you mentioned earlier when you are uh, standing in front of a green screen. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe we should do like a short stuff on chroma key technology. All right. We uh, should do it in front of a green screen. We should. Uh, we've done stuff in front of uh, green screens before. Oh, yeah. Lots. Fact. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're standing there. They're looking off screen at monitors. Uh, they are pointing, you know, you, you know, it takes a little time to learn how to master um, pointing at uh, a blank screen and lining it up correctly so you're pointing at, you know, Kansas City and not Ames, Iowa right. uh, by accident. Um, Doppler comes along as sort of the next big thing uh, or next rad, next generation radar. Um, that was in the early 90s. And another big game changer um, as far as, you know, just more in-depth and detailed uh, weather forecasting and uh, also how to, like, you know, broadcast it for people's eyeballs. Right. Yeah, because you could see into the storm now. You could talk about the precipitation, like, inside the storm. It was really, I mean, next generation. Next gen. Uh, aptly titled. Uh, so then we get to the, the big question, which a lot of people may wonder, is, like, do these people, I know they have meteorology uh, degrees, but, or a lot of times do, but do they, do they come up with their own forecasts or do they just get a printout uh, of the national weather forecast and read it on the air and move their hands around a screen? And it, it's a little bit of both. Um, sure, they get all of their weather, basically, uh, data-wise from the National Weather Service and from the NOAA. Um, why not? That's where it all lives. That's where you're going to get the most accurate stuff. They're not going to be stubborn and be like, well, I don't want to use this stuff. Um, they all use it, but they are like generally people that have lived in this place for a while or, you know, after they gain experience, they also gain weather experience. And you might hear a local person say like, you know, this front is coming through, but, you know, as we've seen before in Atlanta, like in you know, eight years ago when we had this happen, when we thought that was going to happen, like their experience and their um, their sort of color commentary is their own. And it very much comes into play and is relevant. My understanding, too, is that they're taking this data from uh, the Weather Service and NOAA that that they provide and having to interpret it themselves, analyze it, interpret it. And then um, and then I guess broadcasted in an understandable way, right? So it's not like the Weather Service or NOAA just sends out like, hey, you can, here's here's format A. If you want to be spicy today, here's right. one that's a little edgy. <laughs> it's nothing like that. It's not written for broadcast now. Right. So even if you don't have a meteorological degree, you have to understand how to read and interpret that kind of data. And I don't think it's so arcane that like, no, no, like the, the, the Sigma characters used repeatedly or anything right. like that. <laughs> I think you can make heads or tails of it because it's free and open to the public, right? Yeah. It's available to everybody. Um, but there's no purpose in not using that information. That's what everybody does. It's what they've been doing since 1870. And it's one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And at the same time, there's a lot of work that they have to put into putting this the puzzle pieces together and giving a clear picture. Absolutely. Um, if you're doing the morning news, you are showing up to work at like... 3.30, 4 in the morning, depending on what time your first broadcast is. Yeah. Uh, some of those first local news broadcasts are, you know, 4.30, 5 a.m. Uh, and they got to be there and know what's going on and look fresh 
uh, and be ready to go. Uh, get those morning eye bags calmed down. Right. Um, they, speaking of that, Chuck, they a lot of most of them do their own hair and makeup unless you're in a really big city. Oh, really? Yeah. Is <laughs> there a poll? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I read. I should probably shout it out. I read a post um, from tropicalweather.net. Uh-huh. Could not for the life of me find out who wrote that, but they were clearly like a former TV weathercaster. Uh-huh. And they talked about, you know, day in the life of a, a weathercaster. And one of the things was like they're like a one person show. Like they do almost all their own stuff unless they're in a really large market. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a small market, you don't have a, a weather team of like five or six people putting all this stuff together for you. You're like, you know how to work the software. Uh, the graphic software, you're, like you said, you are, you're, you're doing it on your own. Basically, if you're in a bigger city, then you're going to have like your weather team and stuff like that. And especially if you get to the tippy top of like a Dallas Reigns, uh, I mentioned him a couple of times. He's the LA guy forever. He may still be for all I know. What um, about storm fields? Yeah. Like if you're sort of the, a weather celebrity in a big market, then uh, I'm sure that you've got hair and makeup and you've got people putting together all your stuff for you generally. Right. But, uh, you know, otherwise you're kind of in the trenches doing the hard work. Um, you, you, you know, you probably don't go out into the field as much if you're in a big city. Um, but if you're the small market person, you're probably still the one that's standing out in the rain at times during a big storm. Yeah. Um, one of the other things, too, is when you're when you get this picture of the weather together, it's like four in the morning. Um, you have to brief the news manager on whether any of the weather uh, warrants any news coverage, which I hadn't thought about. But that's totally true. I mean, sometimes the weather makes the news and that's from coordinating with the news manager and the, the um, weathercaster. You mean like additional like it's a news story? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so in addition to just all of the weather stuff, there's a lot of things that weathercasters cover that we don't, that don't really have anything to do with the weather, but we still expect the weathercaster to give it to us. Celestial events, mm-hmm. pollen counts, oh, yeah. fishing forecasts. Of course. All sorts of that stuff. Like, yeah. if you think about it, not really part of the weather. And in fact, that um, tropicalweather.net really dryly put it that, um, the public relates astrological events to weather, considering that it is viewed in the sky. Yeah, that's about it. It's kind of true. We all kind of think of that as weather, but it has really not a lot to do with weather. But the weather people have to look that up too. They have to research local events to put the weather in context. Like, is the is the big May Day parade going to get right. rained out? Of course. Like, that kind of thing. So it takes the weather and makes it personal and important to you by saying like this thing you're going to may or may not get rained out. And the weather person has to know all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when they're not um, in the studio and doing weather stuff, they're um, usually pretty active in the community. Um, you're not going to find like a local TV weather person that's just like a, a shut in off hours and doesn't get involved. I think they're very much expected and it's good for their brand, obviously, to get out in the community, to be the the guest judge at the chicken wing fling, uh, which, by the way, I'm doing coming up soon. Oh, really? In Atlanta. I'm a celebrity judge for the Kirkwood wing fling. Wow. In May. Best of luck. So if anyone wants to come down there and heckle me, uh, feel free. Uh, visit elementary schools and go talk about weather stuff there. Uh, and like I said, you're your own brand, so it will behoove you to um, to build your 
brand and you do that through social media. So yeah, chances are you got a big or hopefully a big Instagram following or you're on Twitter or whatever. Like, you know, it's just like any other on-air personality. You want your name to be out there. Okay, so you got up and got to work at 3.30. You yeah. took all of the tea leaves from the National Weather Service in NOAA, put them together into a, a picture that you can share with people. Mm. You made literal pictures of this stuff as mm. graphics. Um, you probably, in between the morning news and, say, the noon news, if you're doing both of those, you um, taped a, a, a broadcast for the website. Mm -hmm. um, you had to tweet the whole time to try to build your social media following. And mm -hmm. then after work, you had to go to an elementary school to give a talk about weather and then go home, eat, go to bed, and then get up the next morning at, I don't know, 2.45 or 3. That's the life of a weather person. No, you go to the local fern bar. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's probably, you could fit that in there somewhere. You could fit a Harvey Wallbanger or two in. Yeah, that's what you do in the 70s. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough job. I mean, you lost me at 2.45 in the morning. No doubt. And then also there's, I mean, unless you're at the top of the heap, they're going to tell you you need to work on the 4th of July, on Christmas, oh, yeah. on Thanksgiving. Like, mm -hmm. And I saw one of the ways, again, to from tropicalweather.net, if you want to get your foot in the door, basically say, I will be the guy that works uh, on Christmas and Thanksgiving and just yeah. get me on TV. Let me show everybody what I've got. I got 5,000 followers on Twitter. Give me a uh -huh. shot. Give me Not a afraid. shot. Not afraid to stand in front of a tornado. Right. That's another one, too. I mean, standing in storms is, like you said, it's a real hazard of the job, but they, they kind of, depending on who you are, you kind of have to do it. Yeah. And that's become a uh, more of a thing, I think, in the last, like, 20 years or so. Like, I remember watching the Weather Channel in the 80s, and I don't remember seeing a ton of that, but um, people watch the Weather Channel now to see, who. what's the guy's name, Jim... Uh, Cantori. His, yeah, Jim Cantori. Uh, you know, is, is this the one where he's going to be swept out to sea or not? Yeah, the one, um, Dave linked to a clip of Hurricane Ian and Jim Cantori in it hanging onto a, a, like a street sign. Yeah. And behind him is like a, a stop sign that's been bent at the base and is just flipping back and forth. And if that thing swung, it would chop Jim, Jim Cantori right in half. Like yeah. those things are heavy. And they can be sharp at high speeds. So it is definitely <laughs> dangerous. But you said that, that it was um, from the maybe the, the 90s or something that they started going out in the weather. Apparently, Dan Rather's credited as one of the first reporters to go out in a hurricane, Hurricane Carla, in 1961, when oh, he yeah. was just a little cub reporter at KHOU in Houston. And he went out and showed what it was like out in the hurricane and kind of set that trend that I guess, I think you're right, it wasn't something that you would see until later on after the Weather Channel really kind of got into it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it became a little more like the Storm Chasey thing. Uh-huh. Kind of caught hold more. Um, Weather Thanks Channel to Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. <laughs> Which is funny. I know I've said this before, but Emily loves Twister. <laughs> and it is just so not her thing. Uh, and my my joke that I've used over and over over the years when people talk about Emily's taste in movies is Emily likes two types of movies, uh, small indie dramas and Twister. <laughs> Liking Twister is so high-o, though. It is so high-o, now that I think about it. And she was obsessed with tornadoes growing up because of so yeah, high-o. For sure. Um, but yeah, the Weather Channel came around in 82. Uh, so I didn't really thought about it. When I was watching it in, like, 88, it was still pretty new. Um, it, John Coleman was the, was the brainchild behind it. Uh, he got a start in the 70s. 
and eventually was the uh, the weather um, person for Good Morning America. And um, he was one of the ones that was like, you know, people want to watch people. Um, they don't tune in for the weather. They tune in to watch the weather person, um, which I is guess, sort of true and sort of not. <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on the weather person, really, if yeah. you think about it. But they also want to hear the weather. Right. right. Although, you know, I, I have something to confess. I have trouble paying attention and focusing sometimes. Okay. I don't think in the history of my entire life I've ever absorbed a weather report, ever. Really? I'll watch the whole thing, and at the end, I'll be like, I have no idea what the weather's going to be tomorrow, every single time. I haven't watched a weather report in a long time. I watch local and national news almost every night, so I, it happens almost every day. That's, yeah, I haven't watched local news since in probably 20-something years. Oh, you're missing out, buddy. No, nah, I'm not into it. I no, don't turn I, on I the TV before 8 p.m. I don't know. Ooh, well, I don't know. Well, except for Jeopardy. Okay, that's 7.30, so. Yeah. Still. But then it goes back off at 8. So it, you. Usually until 9. <laughs> does it really? There's that hour of power where you're just sitting there meditating? No, that's when uh, that's when bedtime for Ruby happens. So you can't oh, have okay. a screen on because she'll just be like, must watch. <laughs> right. I don't care. I want to watch how the equalizer ends tonight. Oh, dude, she'll watch. She was watching the stupid ads on the gas pump the other day from the car. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, this is sick. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem, Chuck. You got a problem on your hands there. And she said, screw you, Dad. So, well, there's your other problem, too. <laughs> that and Emily loving Twister. You got a lot of problems. That's right. But you know what's not one? <laughs> <laughs> the weather. Because I use my weather apps. That's how I ingest the weather. Uh, I guess I'm like um, a Gen Z because they've done research, uh, Pew Research even, the, the yeah. best research. Yeah. And they found that 42% of people over 65 uh, still follow the local news very closely. Um, and 51% of that group of people uh, get their local news from local TV broadcasts. Sure. Uh, if you go to under 30 it drops down to 15% follow the local news very closely, and 26% prefer to get their news uh, from TV. Uh, right, so 60% of that group, like, get it from online. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I want to see who that 15% of 20-somethings is, is following the local news very closely on television. I, I think it's like a retro kind of thing. They also write letters by hand and stuff like that. Uh, maybe that's it. That's my guess, but so... You could make a pretty good point that the TV weathercaster is like, you know, a walking dinosaur. They're they're doomed, right? Nah. The thing is, no, you're right. The thing is, is um, if the the Pew also did another poll where they asked people like, what's the what's the most important part of a local newscast? And everybody, seventy percent of people said the the weather. Yeah. It topped crime. Sports was second to last, just above restaurants, clubs, and bars. Um. Which I found really surprising, but because they treat the sports department like they're just gods or something. Yeah. Um. So the weather, the weather person, as long as there's local news, there's going to be weather people because they're the bright, shining star of the whole thing as far as the viewing public goes, even if they're not particularly portrayed or treated that way. Although it feels like in recent years, like they've started to really kind of spotlight the weather person a little more and how smart they are and reliable and how great their family thinks they are, that kind of thing. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I bet they had the same fears just about local news, period, once national news became a thing on TV. Yeah. And it'll always be around because people, I just think people like, uh, I like that it's still on. I don't watch it. But I love that, uh, I mean, the TV was on in a, in a restaurant I was at the other night, and that's where I saw Ken Cook was still around. Yeah, cool. I was like, wow, look at him still going. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Hellinger used to be the, the sports guy. I think he's a anchor now. But that's the thing. I mean, like, you you can not, you know, participate or take part in something and still be bummed if it isn't around anymore. No, I agree. You know? Yeah. So um, there's another kind of uh, route that some – weather casters are taking um, to wrap all this up. And that is to basically interpret the, the weather as far as like climate change goes. Yeah. And Dave put it really perfectly that they're, they're evolving into basically a science reporter who doesn't just forecast the weather, but puts it into context, particularly these days in the context of climate change. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty good new direction for them to go in. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. And talk about making yourself relevant. Yeah, well, I mean, depending on what what city you live in, that's probably welcome or not welcome. Uh, I, I did see John Coleman. I was looking, trying to find clips of him on uh, YouTube, and there was one I, I couldn't find out what year it was, but one where they he did a full segment um, poo pooing climate change, basically in the data. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I thought it was pretty interesting. The guy who founded the Weather Channel. Yeah. Okay. Oh man, that reminds me. There's a book called Merchants of Doubt. I think I've talked about before, and it's. Like, it's really unnerving. It's about stuff like that. It's about people who, I don't, I'm not accusing John Coleman of this, but it's about scientists who are basically paid by huge companies to, to sow doubt among the public about whether the science behind things like climate change or tobacco causing cancer was actually legitimate or not. Yeah, it really boy. set the world back in yeah. all sorts of really evil ways. It's really tough to read. Hmm. Sounds fun. Yeah, really, that was a weird way to end this episode, but that's how we're going to end it. (laughs) Yeah, I got nothing else. All right, well, since Chuck said he's got nothing else, everybody, that means it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, This is about Dolly Parton. We had a fun recent episode on Dolly. Yeah. uh, Her Majesty. And this is from John Pizarek, who lives in Japan. Um, Hey, guys, wanted to chime in with a fun Dolly Parton fact. Uh, to just show how she has become incorporated in all sorts of cultures. I've included a picture for reference, but in dental school, when you learn to do fillings, we use a thin metal band to help shape the fillings for the tooth. Uh, However, sometimes the filling would be particularly deep or large, uh, and instead of using the standard type 1 band, you would need to use a type 2 band uh, to help students remember what the type 2 band looks like. They were affectionately known as the Dolly Parton band uh, because of the bust-like appearance she became famous for uh, and he's showing me these little bands and one one just looks like a sort of a bent popsicle stick uh, like a boomerang shaped popsicle stick uh-huh. and one looks like a boomerang popsicle stick with uh, boobs <laughs> wow. where, where the boomerang meets in the center yeah I okay, go check that out so that must be what he's talking about uh, I know Chuck has had his fair share of dental experience I would almost guarantee that most dentists know the reference if you were to bring this up I'm going to do that, John, just so you know. Um, Thank you for all you do. I wish my trip to D.C. from Japan was able to coincide with your show. But alas, it's not the case. Sorry, John. Yeah, sorry about that, John. Well, thanks for a great email, though. We appreciate that. We always love learning new weird things. And that was a new weird thing for us. Right, Chuck? 
new for me. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like John did, send us an email. Send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. In business, first impressions are everything. And that's why every business owner needs to know about Ruby. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7, all while making your customers feel special. You definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. Never miss another customer call again. This year, make your business the best it can be. Visit ruby.com today or just call them at 844-900-RUBY. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at visible.com for data management practices and additional terms. Visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month.